Come on. Hello, dear listener. Before we get into today's show, quick ask. If you find value in today's show or you've gotten value out of a previous show, please leave us a quick five-star review. Be super grateful. Thanks a lot. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful Sam Knickerbocker. Sam, are you ready to do this? Absolutely. Excellent. Let's let's do this. Sam is a speaker, an entrepreneur, a podcast host, author, and wealth and legacy strategist. I'm excited to have you on. Sam, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Absolutely. So I am, um, to send you a picture of me, I'm the seventh of 11 kids, um, grew up in some form of abject poverty. <laughs> uh, I mean, everybody everybody has a different version of that, but uh, to kind of paint a picture of that, my parents, they were pizza drivers, we lived on government church assistance. Um, there were many times that we would go dumpster dive in the Albertsons um, dumpsters for our bread and, and different pastries that they would throw out in there until they put a big cinder block wall up around it. So we couldn't do that anymore. But mm. um, that, was, that was part of my childhood um, as, as a result of just stress and a lot of things. Then um, oftentimes abuse and, and anxiety, depression, those types of things are in those situations. And it was no different in my family that we were struggling from, from a lot of those types of experiences, d- domestic violence, abuse, um, CPS, Child Protective Services, showed up many times at our house, and we were all good enough liars to pretend that we actually fell instead of were hit. Mm. Um, and so as I was growing up, I decided I want to have an impact on this demographic, teach people you know, how to avoid this and wondering why do people stay in these situations, why does this happen? Went to school for psychology, and then that turned into neuropsychology, which turned into biochemistry, which turned into sociology. Um, trying to identify exactly why does somebody stay in a negative environment when it doesn't support them. Like the, the law of the natural law of selection would say that we would avoid negative environments. And yet this is one circumstance where we seem to thrive or at least stay in negative environments. Um, what I found was that these social issues, they happen more often in lower income households rather than in higher income households. And when they do happen in higher income households, because they do, um, they really, they, the people have the resources to get the help they need. So it doesn't have the same effect as when it happens in lower income. In lower income, somebody's struggling with depression, anxiety, divorce, um, domestic violence, things of those natures, maybe even suicide attempts, then generally they're gonna turn towards drugs, alcohol, pornography, um, more violent acts as a way to kind of just keep at bay the internal pain that they're feeling. And so I recognized at that point that I didn't want to do psychology anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And I, and I went full into just teaching people how money works because I felt like that's where I could have the biggest impact. Um, so that's, so that's how I got to where I am, why I do what I do and my, my family life. uh, I now have two beautiful children, two little boys, um, I have two, almost two year old, and an almost four-year-old, and Charlie is my wife. She's incredible. 
um, couldn't have asked for a better better relationship there. So just love love doing what I'm doing. We're all supportive of each other. We all love seeing each other, and we all love um, our time alone. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, it's just been a wonderful life. But I just I love helping and having the impact um, to to help people have more financial confidence in themselves, so that they can go live a meaningful life for them, whatever that is. Um, I want people to be able to live what they feel is meaningful and not be, and we, we've all heard this example, right? When you go to a restaurant, which side of the menu are you reading down? You know, are you reading down the price side where your money is dictating your life or are you living a life of what you want um, and, and making sure that there's, there's resources there for you? Appreciate that. So seven of 11 kids, I imagine that you probably did not get a lot of that alone time back then. No, not not at all. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's kind of both, right? So you, you don't get a lot of alone time, but then also um, when you're, I mean, we if you're a middle child, right? Any Gen Xer would know this, but um, when you're a middle child, you, you almost do get more alone time than if you were on either end because you get hmm. forgotten. That's a good know? point. And so, and so it's kind of a mixture of like, yes, there's always people around, but you're still alone. Hmm. And that's a that's an interesting, especially in today's world, it's a very common thing if you're if you're addicted to social media or something yeah you have all these friends but really nobody there's no connection and that so it's an interesting thing yeah and also that that's a very sad statement right there there's people around <laughs> but you're always alone man <laughs> well congratulations on i mean that couldn't have been easy to to grow up in that situation and still make your way to college yeah it was uh by the time i went to college i was but I think one, two, three, four. I think most of us actually made it to college. Wow. Um, I think there's only two or three of us that <laughs> didn't go to college and get some some form of degree. Um, I only was in college for I, until I got my associates. I spent a lot of time studying a bunch of things, and then finally I was like, okay, I need to like at least get an associate's degree. But then as I was finishing up my associate's degree, I, I was already working at the firm that I I work with now and so I was talking to my advisors at school and I was like so I already know what I'm gonna do I already have a job doing what I love doing is there really any need to go to college anymore and I was going to a community college and they're like well you kind of go to school to get a degree to get a job so if you already have the job I, I don't know that you really need to go to college anymore yeah like, oh, okay um, I wasn't expecting that from my college teachers. Right. Um, but, but what I found is like finance, there's a lot of things that you do need college for, but then there's also a lot of things that, uh, by the time you graduate college, everything you learned is obsolete. Like anything in, uh, the, the social media marketing world, like by the time you graduate college, they've changed the, the everything multiple times. And that's a lot how finance is. There's certain rules that are applicable across the board in finance, personal finance, business finance, things like that. But there's also, like, it's changing so fast. Um, probably the funniest thing that happens on a daily basis is when you talk to somebody and like, well, my grandpa said to do money this way. I'm like, your grandpa grew up as a result of the Great Depression. <laughs> and, like, would you ever walk around with a brick phone and say, yeah, you should get rid of your smartphone. You should use this brick phone. Like, it, no, you're, you're going to take the newest latest stand in line for the iPhone 12 you know why don't you do that with your finances like finances have a the, the financial tools and products that we have now 
they've evolved just as much or more than the technology we have and you are still taking advice from somebody who believes in the old brick phone like I mean, do what you want, but that's probably right. not the best strategy. <laughs> no, no, that probably is not. So fascinating that, that that you went down the path of psychology and neuropsychology, and so you have a good understanding of of how our brains are are working, or at least probably as 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 good as we can understand. And then you recognize, well, we need we people need 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 help understanding how money works, and there's certainly, I mean. It's like a chicken of the egg kind of a thing, right? If I'm not doing the psychological work, I'm never going to be good at money. And if I'm never good at money, then I'm probably, well, you know, I think you know what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say. Yeah, so absolutely. how do you, how do you sort of marry those two and to tell me about how, how you're interacting with, with, with your clients? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's one of the, the biggest things that sets me apart when I talk to my clients and what their experience was. Cause a lot of my clients, they come from already having worked with other advisors or other uh, financial professionals, and the the biggest thing is, and uh, we can all imagine that like, if you walk into a lawyer's office or or a financial professional's office, there are these big regal offices, and there's a there's an air of um, I don't know, like highness or authority. It's what the sure. banks used to look like, and that the biggest thing that people feel is judgment. So they people really are scared to look at their finances. They're definitely scared to show somebody else their finances because they're worried about judgment. And so um, when I'm doing something, the, the main thing comes back to, and if you're, if you're sitting there listening to this uh, and you're struggling with your finances, my, my proposition would be that it's, you don't struggle with finances necessarily. You struggle with the concept of reporting or, or having been scolded for something. When you've been generally between two and six years old, at some point you did something and you got a, neg- a result that wasn't pleasing to somebody else and then you got in trouble for it or you got scolded for it or you got embarrassed for it, whatever it was. And you took an identity there that says, I don't like to report things. I don't, I don't wanna <laughs> see the damage, I don't want this. And so then when it comes to your finances, the 90% of finances is simply awareness. Like it's, you don't even have to like, no, you don't need somebody like me or, or anybody to come in and say, oh, you shouldn't do that with your finances. You should do this with your finances. The reality is if I show you where every penny of your money has gone for the last 90 days, you're going to look at that and you're like, oh, geez, hmm. I could save money here. I could save money here. I could save money here. And we could definitely put this away 8%. Like almost every family of four, Earning forty to fifty thousand dollars a year, um, that I've worked with, I can. Uh, once I show them their money, they're like, "Okay, I can save four hundred to six hundred dollars a month." Mm-hmm. But when they come in, they're like, "You can't help me. I live paycheck to paycheck. There's no way." Um, I've met with other people before, and the problem with other other finance professionals that I've seen is they're in it just for the quick turn, mm-hmm. the quick bucks. So like. They'll come in. They'll say, "How much discretionary income do you have?" And they're, and then you say, "None. I live paycheck to paycheck." And they're like, "Oh, you're not worth my time. Go, <laughs> go sit at the bank. Um, I want to talk to a person who has extra money." And although I get that and I understand the necessity, right? I battle with it every day. Do I do I just chase more money, or do I sit here and do what I'm, I'm passionate about and love and help people understand how money works? And they just you have to have different motivation because if you're just after the money, the little guy will get left behind every time. Um, and so I'm passionate about helping people understand how money works and providing a judgment free zone, um, less even from myself, but more to coach my clients through not judging 
each other, like married married couples, have to make sure that that the man's not judging the the wife for how she chooses to spend her play money, and vice versa. We can't have people judging each other, and then more importantly, we can't have we can't be judging ourselves. So I'm there to protect you from yourself when we have you, when we review your finances. So it's very very interesting dynamic um, to really make sure that it's a safe environment to review it. And once we can remove the emotion uh, from the numbers and just look at the numbers, um, I haven't really met that many people who make dumb decisions with their money once they actually look at it. The problem is most people aren't looking at it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a pretty powerful thing right there. And so it, is it is it nine times out of 10? Is it 10 times out of 10 that, that when you go through that process, the light bulb turns on and people say, hey, you know what? You're you're right, Sam. I can find three hundred, four hundred, five hundred dollars on a monthly basis to actually put away. I just does it happen almost every time? Um, yeah, it's probably nine times out of ten. There's always people. What what happens is, uh, Steve Siebold. I don't know if you know who that is, but he was a he was the the mental toughness coach. He had the contract to train Navy SEALs mm-hmm. with, in mental toughness, and he through all his research, he found that. Um, by about eight years old, most humans have an addiction to the approval of others that's worse than an, an addiction to heroin. Hmm. So like when you think about that, um, yes, they see that they have money to save nine times out of ten. Um, but but there's always going to be somebody who, despite being your best efforts, they're so emotionally entrapped by worrying about what somebody else thinks of them that they're unwilling to make a move on it. Um, so it's like, yes, I have this money to save, but if I were to put it away, then this person's going to judge me over here. And if I make this option, this person's going to judge me over here. And so people say, well, if I just don't decide anything, if I don't put my money anywhere, then nobody's going to judge me and I'm going to be accepted. And the, the thing that they fail to recognize is that indecision is a decision. <laughs> so, so, so even if you're in a terrible situation, and and you you recognize that your life is not what you necessarily want it to be. You're going to be just stuck because of that principle of suffering from addiction of worrying about what other people think of you. Yeah, and and it's a it's a safety thing. Like people don't think of themselves, and this goes back into the neuropsychology, um, and and why I would actually consider poverty and a mental illness rather than a financial situation because hmm. because there's there's really um, happy what I would consider a wealthy person that are dirt poor and there's people who have tons of money that are in poverty they're so scared of losing it all and they like money is not the indicator of whether somebody's in poverty or not it's an orientation or a mindset of of how one responds to to resources and more importantly we've all been in hoarders houses and there's wealthy hoarders and there's poor hoarders and they all smell the same poverty stinks and it's not like a like it's not a it isn't meant to be rude it's just an actual fact when when energy vibrates at a certain frequency there's a, st- a, a smell to it like and that that comes down to like physical energy atoms vibrating at certain frequencies it stinks most people recognize it it doesn't matter where in the world you go there, there's a there's a stench to that and I'm, I'm not here to say it's bad but I'm here to just call it out and call it what it is there's that that's an energy frequency and money's not the indicator and so um, when people understand that there's a certain mindset to to poverty then it's a lot easier to say okay if you're entrapped in this poverty you you're addicted to that cycle happening 
you're addicted to the pain. You have this Stockholm syndrome. I mean, it's, there's all these different terms for it in different areas of life, but we get addicted to that pain. And then the, the thought of not having that pain in our lives anymore is terrifying. I mean, like I, I have an example, this is silly, um, but because I got uh, spanked and, and beat a lot when I was a child, and my mom, as she's you know beating me, um, she would be, I love you. You know, she's screaming at us that she loves us, that she's beating us. Jeez. And, and so for, I remember being 14, 15 years old, living, I'd moved out at this point, living with my second oldest brother. And I was just sitting downstairs in the basement, feeling lonely one day. My brother's upstairs studying his, um, for his homework for college. And I came up and I was like, Hey, will you spank me? You know, it was just like, because that was my, I, I was feeling lonely. That was my attachment yeah. to love. And it's just like, that's how warped people's minds are. And, and I've been there. Like I understand the warpage and I understand the healing and moving past that. And, and just so everybody's clear on here, all of my siblings and my parents, we all have great relationships and I love them deeply and respect them and honor them for the role they played in my life and have no, no hard feelings at this point. But it was rough uh, growing up. And that's, that's how people get with their finances as well is they like the pain, they like the drama. Um, if they're not, if they're in a group of people and they aren't the, the one that says, oh, I just had this bill come up and I, like, it's part of their identity as somebody who complains about money and, and does that. So if you tried to shift that identity, it now changes every aspect of their social life and they aren't ready for that change. So. Oof, that is powerful right there. That is powerful. I don't know that I've ever heard it framed like that, Sam. I think that that's, that's, it, it certainly makes sense. It certainly makes sense. Um, I wish it didn't, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also glad to hear that uh, that 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 you've got a, a positive relationship with with everybody in the family, especially after coming from all of that and through all of it. So, well, Sam, Savage Nation is ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? Yeah. So the the biggest difference making thing that I could think of, and honestly, this is a conversation with every one of my clients, is just become aware. Um, for me, the best, the best tool, um, and I don't get paid by anybody to say this. I just honestly, I think it's the best tool I've found is mint.com. Um, you can use the app. The app is super limited. I would go use the desktop version. Um, but mint.com, if you attach all your accounts there, um, it's owned by Intuit who owns TurboTax and QuickBooks self-employed. So it's a, it's a relatively, you know, protected site. You don't have to worry about who's getting my information. Um, but they have infused the psychology that we're all used to, right? So when we come up to a red light, it's green, yellow, red. We generally, you know, a normal person would, would know that green means go, red means, sorry, yellow means slow down, mm -hmm. red means stop, right? Well, they've infused that psychology into your spending habits. So um, you can create a budget or, or a spending plan, and then it's green until you get close within like, depending on the size of the budget, two to 5% of how much you, you had said you want to spend for that month. And then it turns yellow. And then once you are at the end or it goes over, then it turns red and says, Hey, it's time to stop spending in this category. So and there's that. And then there's a pie chart. So it's almost like a lottery system. Uh, like you get the same type of social media adrenaline of like, Hey, I'm going to classify my, my transactions and see how the, the pie chart changes every, every time I reclassify something. Um, the objective being to, to make tracking your money fun rather than a chore. 
and to make it almost help you forget about that you're you're actually tracking your spending but you're really just tracking money and you're recategorizing things and it's a, it's a fun experience so they they've taken the uh, the psychology that we're all used to and they've infused it into um, managing money. And so I think that's the best thing is just become aware. If you're struggling with awareness, like if you're struggling with having that sitting down and actually doing it because it's too emotionally taxing, which can act, like I've had clients who have like, hey, do this. And it's put them into straight panic attacks where they had to <laughs> end up in the hospital. I'm like, whoa, okay, well, I'll sit there with you, you know, hold your hand and, and help you through this process because we not doing it's not an option, right? Not knowing where your money's at at this stage in our economy and our world, not an option. We got to know where it is. So if you need somebody to hold your hand, reach out to me. I'll hold your hand through the process. Um, but I, I just want you to know now whether we end up doing business, whether anything happens, I don't care. Um, my family eats just fine. Like we, we have plenty of money. I want to help people uh, receive some some real impact in their life. So just track your money and take emotion out of money. Just track it and become aware of where you're at. Well, I think that is great stuff. That definitely gets, come on. Come on. Sam, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? How can people engage with you? Yeah, so um, social media, Sam Knickerbocker on on LinkedIn, Instagram, and um, I just went blank, Facebook. And so, so those are probably the three, three biggest places to interact with me if you want a social media link. Um, and then also my website, samnickerbocker.com. I'm actually, I don't know how many of your followers there are in Arizona or when this is going to air, but, uh, I'm going to be actually down in Arizona this weekend speaking. So on the 14th of November, I'm going to be speaking down there, um, about branding and bit and building a business that's kind of going to give you a life of meaning. Um, so yeah, but lots of opportunities to hear me speak. If you go to my website, samnickerbocker.com, you can check those out. You can also just Google me and um, I'll show up as a Google business. And if you're interested, you can use the, use the link right there on Google and schedule a time in my calendar to to have a conversation and see if we'd be a good fit for each other. Perfect. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Sam your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to samnickerbocker.com. Find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and, of course, the Google machine. I'll list all those in the notes of the show. Thanks again, Sam. Yeah, thank you. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. Spending too much time on social? Is your daily screen time over two hours? Are you a little bit overweight, not saving enough money? Any or all of these are familiar. Strive could be for you. The Strive two-week online boot camp will help you to detox your mind, body, and money, getting you on your way to a happier, healthier, wealthier, and more confident life. Go to strivedetox.com. S-T-R-I-V-E-D-E-T-O-X dot com and get your mind, body, and money right.